Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. So today I want to go through, I think I wrote down five enemies of faith that if you'll deal with these things, if you'll take them out, if you'll make sure that you don't ignore you know, what you need, uh, you know, a lot of people ignore problems in life. You don't ignore the problem. God doesn't, God is a God of order. God is a God of, of, um, of structure. And he's written this book called the Bible to show us the order of faith, to show us, actually the Bible says in Romans 4, that there's a law of faith. And God does not violate these laws. And so there's certain things that unless you correct the course, you're never going to operate in the God kind of faith that has the power to move mountains. But once you correct the course, once you you start to identify the problem and then tackle the problem and then rise up in biblical faith, you'll start to see the impossible faith deals with impossibilities faith deals with immovable circumstances faith deals with unmovable mountains faith deals with real life circumstances and situations faith is not your ability to accept life's problems faith is not your ability to just accept what life throws at you faith is a spiritual force that is rooted in the living word that empowers a man and empowers a woman to tackle to challenge life's promise, problems with God's promises so as to overturn them and bring about a blessed life, to bring about uh, God's greatest blessings in your life. So if you will take time to just share this broadcast, share it as many times as you can, comment, like it if you're on YouTube and on Facebook, and it's going to help uh, help us defeat the algorithms um, for that. If you would, turn, your Bi- turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And I'm going to start off by reading this. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and beginning with verse 11. The Bible says, But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness. See, that's where a lot of people in the body of Christ stop it. Paul's talking to Timothy and he's saying, flee these things. Flee what? Flee the love of, the love of money. Flee unholy lifestyle. Flee uh, unrighteous living. Flee sinful living. But the Bible doesn't say that Paul finishes his exhortation to Timothy there. There's a lot of preaching that revolves around fleeing this world, being crucified to this world, leaving the sinful lust of this world, and that's fine. We need to preach it. I preach it just as strong as anyone else. There is a dying to self. There is a, you know, Paul said, far be it that I should boast in anything else but the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ by whom I've been crucified to this world and this world's been crucified to me. Paul talks about sin, not having dominion over you. We've dealt with this. If you're a regular viewer of this broadcast, I've brought that up many times. The, the, the responsibility that we have to crucify the flesh. The Bible says in Proverbs 6, you deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the, uh, the fowler. The Bible says we are to pursue holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. So there's responsibility of the believer to flee youthful lust to flee the appetites of the flesh but Paul goes on there's also another responsibility flee those things but pursue righteousness godliness and faith love patience and gentleness the Bible says we're to pursue faith matter of fact if you read I believe it's in the book of Titus he starts off his book by saying I wanted to write to you concerning our salvation but i felt prompted by the holy spirit to deal with you concerning the faith that has been delivered to us by the saints 
he he starts off, I wanted to write something completely different. I wanted to write about something that, you know, I had in my heart, but then I felt necessary. I felt a burden to write to you concerning this great faith that we've received. Titus literally felt a burden to, 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 to literally build the, the church, the church's faith, to build. Let me read it. Let me read this because it's going to help you. It wasn't Titus. It was not Titus. Where was it? Should have probably referenced this before. Bear with me. Jude. I knew it was one of those like small books. Jude 1. And there's only one chapter. Verse 3. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary. I found it necessary. I found it, uh, it of utmost importance to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith that was delivered to all the saints. So uh, Jude here is saying, Jude is the brother of Jesus, by the way. Jude is saying that we are to contend for the faith, which leads me to where I was, I was about to read. First, First Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have professed or confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Paul is saying that the, there is a fight in life. There's too many people that are trying to fight the devil. But the Bible doesn't say the believers to fight the devil. The Bible says that there is the fight of faith. There's too many people that they're trying to fight. They're trying to fight, you know, everything else. They're, they're, they're allocating their energy to fighting things that the Bible says you're not even to concern yourself with. You're to fight one fight. The believer is called to fight one fight in life, and that is the fight of faith, the good fight of faith. That's another thing. It's a good fight. Why is it called a good fight? Because it, it, only one fight in life is a good fight. It's the fight that you won, the fight that you win. So the Bible says the fight of faith is a good fight because when you fight it, 1 John 5, 4 says, whatever is born of God has overcome the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. So faith brings victory. That's why Paul was confident to say, you are to fight the good fight of faith. Another thing that that verse shows you is that if there's a fight of faith, then obviously there's enemies of faith. You wouldn't have to fight to obtain something unless there was something trying to hold you back from obtaining it. You don't fight. Uh, you don't you don't fight for something that there's no obstacles to fight for. There's no you don't fight for something to obtain something that there's no there's no hindrance or there's no uh, opposition to obtain. The Bible says it's a fight of faith, which shows you that there's enemies that you're gonna have to fight past to obtain faith. And I want to go through in this hour with you five enemies of faith. And the reason why I talk about faith, the reason why I talk a lot about faith, the reason why I felt prompted by the Spirit, like Jude did, to, to preach to you, to contend earnestly for the faith, is because the Scripture 
literally anything that you're going to receive from God is by faith. Salvation itself, by grace through faith, ye are saved. You can't even be saved without having faith. So faith is not some side issue to the Bible. Faith is the main meal of the Bible. Faith is the crux of Christianity. Without it, you're going to hell. Without it, the Bible says, it's by faith, the just shall live by faith. So without faith, you can't even live properly. Your life, the quality of life that you enjoy will be incredibly, essentially in, in, in that determined by the quality of faith that you have in your heart the quality of life you enjoy the just shall live by his faith that means that the quality of living you have on the earth will be determined by the quality of faith that you have hidden in your heart and then expressed by your mouth without faith the bible says the just can't live without faith by grace through faith we're saved you can't be saved the bible says that by faith we stand i believe that's second corinthians 1 24 so you can't even stand without faith you have nothing to stand on without faith the bible says that the, um, this is the victory that has overcome the world even our faith you can't have victory without faith the scripture says very clearly that through faith they obtain promises you can't obtain the promises of god without faith the bible Bible says that when Jesus healed that woman with the issue of blood, he turned to her and said, daughter, thy faith has made thee well. You can't even be well without faith. You can't be healed without faith. Faith is it. If there's something that we should give ourselves to the study thereof, it should be the subject of faith. Faith. What is faith? How do you use faith? How do you increase faith? What are some enemies of faith? I have a full playlist that goes through all of these things in, in detail. But today I want to take time to deal with the enemies of faith. What are some things that are in life that are set against you growing in faith? What are some things that will try to prevent you from operating in the God kind of faith. Remember in Mark eleven twenty two, 22, Jesus told his disciples, have the faith of God. Have the faith of God. In your translation, it might say, um, have faith in God. But if you study the actual words Jesus used in the original language, it was have the faith of God. Well, what's the faith of God? The faith of God, Romans 4 describes it perfectly. That God who gives life to the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. And he was talking about creation. When God created the world, God used his faith. God is a faith God. When God created the trees, he used his faith. How do we know that? The earth was formless. The earth was without void. So that's why if you're, if you're in life right now and it looks like your life is formless, it looks like your life has nothing going for it, it looks like your life has been overcome by darkness, now's not the time to sit down and complain. Now's not the time to let your hands go limp. Now's not the time to give up on the fight of faith now's the time i mean why do we listen to the word of god what is the word of god for the word of god isn't for you to just uh to endure life the word of god isn't a crutch for us to just get by in life we're not walking on barely getting along street sitting by grumble alley we're not we're not like everybody else we don't have 
We don't have this. We don't have to have the same story everybody else is having. We've been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. We've been declared to be overcomers. We've been declared to be more than conquerors because of Christ Jesus who loved us. So why do we read the Bible? Why do we study the word? If not for it to put in us something substantial that allows us to, like David said, when I see a wall, I can leap over the wall. When I see a crowd getting, gathering around me, when I see opposition before me, I can lower my shoulder like a good running back does and just bull rush right through it. That's what faith does. Faith allows you to overcome. Faith allows you to enjoy what other people see as impossible. We don't study this book. We didn't become Christians to have a natural order of Christianity. We didn't become Christians to have natural lifestyle. We didn't become Christians and give our lives to Jesus so that we can just, you know, be tempest tossed the rest of our lives we became christians because number one we were born in sin and we needed a savior but after that what did god save you from he saved you from sin but he didn't just save you from sin he told the israelites i'm bringing you out of the house of bondage and i'm bringing you in to the house uh, to a land that is flowing with milk and honey so we're not just saved from the house of bondage we're saved into the land flowing milk with milk and honey and it's by faith that we obtain the promised land it's by faith that we walk in light of, of what God has has already delivered into our hands so you know God used faith in creating the world God used faith he saw the worlds dark and and and, and the Bible says darkness was hovering over the surface of the deep but he spoke let there be light and there was light so faith allows you to overturn darkness in your life it allows you to overturn the work of darkness in your life it allows you to challenge darkness so that you can implement what god's promised you in life 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 is not determined life doesn't have to be determined by what the devil has planned for you there's so many people well how do you know there's a big devil out there and they give him so much they give foothold to the devil because they think that life is literally it's jesus and satan and they're battling for your soul. And uh, even though you're saved, you know, it, it really, who knows what will happen today. We, how many of you know we don't know what our future holds? You could know what your future holds by doing, by operating in faith and doing what God says today. Your, your future can be as bright as the promises of God. Your future can be as, as beaming as the promises of God. You don't have to just lay it up to chance. You don't have to lay it up to luck. You don't have to lay it up and just say, well, you know, ultimately in this life, you know, we're still in the flesh and in this body, but one day we'll, we'll put on Christ and we'll finally have the victory. We're not looking forward to the victory. That's why we're fighting the good fight of faith. We have the victory, but what we're doing now is by faith learning how to take what is in the unseen realm of hope, what is in the spiritual realm, what is already at our disposal, what has already been made available to us because of the victory of the cross and bringing them back down and putting, uh, uh, making them our, our reality that's what faith is faith stretches deep into the unseen realm of hope you don't have to just hope for things to turn you don't have to just wish for things to turn you can actually by faith take what belongs to you and bring it down into the realm of reality all things have been delivered unto you the bible says all things are now yours the bible says the scripture says very clearly that his, his um ephesians 1 3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with every spiritual blessings. We have been blessed. I'm not striving to be blessed. I'm in Christ. 
I'm blessed. When I gave my life to Jesus, I became connected with Christ. And the same, that's why Paul said, you're co-heirs, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. You know what a joint heir is? A joint heir is? I was a joint heir. When my, grandparent, my grandparents on one side died, they gave us an inheritance check. They gave all of our, all the grandchildren the same amount. We were joint heirs. We were joint heirs. We all received the same amount. When Jesus died and rose again, he became an heir. The Bible says there was bestowed on him. He became an heir. Revelation 5, John saw it in the spirit. He said, I saw the lamb that was slain who is worthy of all power, riches, dominion, might, and, 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 um, and kingdoms forever and ever. Well, Romans 8 says we have become a joint heir with Jesus Christ. So what Christ died to obtain, we have become an heir of those things. Turn with me to Galatians 4. This scripture came in my spirit when I was praying before. Galatians 4. Now I say that the heir, which is you. Paul's talking about, if you read Galatians 3, he's talking about you being an heir of the blessing of Abraham. He's talking about you being the, the recipient of the blessing of Abraham through faith in Christ Jesus. He even says, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. As many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. We've put on Christ. That's why Paul was bold to say, it's no longer I who lives, Christ now lives in me. Galatians 2.20. But Galatians 4.1 says, now I say that the heir, as long as he's a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of everything. An heir, as long as he has childlike thinking, and there's a lot of children in the kingdom of heaven. They, they've not pressed on to maturity to actually find out what belongs to them. They can, quote, they, they, you know, they can quote everything that's wrong with their body. They can quote everything that's wrong with their life. They can tell you everybody that's wronged them through the last 30 years, but they can't tell you one scripture. The Bible says, or they only know like a few, like, you know, a few scriptures like God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. But they don't know scriptures that actually deal with their situation at hand. All they know to do is complain about it. That's not faith. Faith is not your ability to, to talk about your problem. Faith is your ability to talk about the promises of God, challenge your problem so that they're overturned. Paul says that you're an heir of everything. But as long as you remain childlike in your thinking, as long as you remain infantile in your understanding of the scriptures, as long as you remain in an elementary understanding of the scriptures of God and what belongs to you as a blood-bought child of God, you will remain under slavery, though you be master of all, though you're the master of Satan and sickness and disease, though you have dominion over sin, though the Bible says that thou shalt trample on the, the lion and the cobra, thou shalt trample them on their foot, talking about demonic networking, talking about demonic powers. You, you are in Christ, you are the one who should be trampling the devil under your feet, but many are being trampled under his feet because they're still childlike in their understanding of the scriptures. And as such, though they're master of all, they're master of none, they're the one being mastered. The devil still remains their master, even though, I mean, we just, Juneteenth uh, was on Saturday, June 19th, which is a celebration of, though the Emancipation Proclamation was declared in 1862, and the slaves were set free throughout all of America because they didn't have Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and whatnot. They ended up having to, you know, by horseback, deliver the message to Texas. And it only reached them two full years later. They had to go through every town and region saying the slaves are free. You can't, have, you, you can't own slaves anymore. They're free. They have, they have independent rights now. They have, you know, they're, all men are created equal in the image of God. 
And so as they went through, people were being set free progressively. Finally, they get to Texas. In Texas, there were slaves there who stayed, though the Emancipation Proclamation had been signed, though they were legally in the uh, Constitution of the United States, in the, 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 the laws of the United States, they were legally allowed to break free from slavery and enter into freedom. They stayed as slaves for two full years because they did not know, they didn't know that they had been set free. So they were bearing the burden of, 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 of slavery. They were, they were working, not being able to store up their own wealth, working for someone else for two full years. And that's what a lot of Christians are like. They, they're still under the yoke of sin, still under the yoke of sickness, still under the yoke of all these things that the Bible says comes, that freedom from those things comes from salvation. Because they're still elementary in their understanding of the word of God. That's why I want to go through enemies of faith. Things that will keep you out. Think, obstacles to having Bible faith. It's not about how much faith you have. So much as it is about how pure that faith is. And with the absence of doubt. That's why Jesus said if you'll have faith like the mustard seed. Faith is such an explosive force that can blow off anything the devil throws at you that even a mustard seed amount of faith has the ability to move a mountain from here to there. So it doesn't even matter. how It really doesn't matter how much faith. It's as long as it's pure and without doubt. If you will believe, all things are possible to him that, to him that believes. That's why the scripture is very clear to say that that woman with the issue of blood, when Jesus turned to her, he said, daughter, thy faith has made thee well. Her faith, what was her faith? Her faith said, if I can touch, faith always speaks. Faith is vocal. Faith without expression is fake. It has, it, it has no, it'll have no bearing at all in the supernatural. But she said, if I can touch the hem of his garment, I know I'll be made well. When she acted on that faith and touched the hem of his garment, she was made well. So faith in its purest form, had the ability to move a sickness, relocate that sickness out of her body and somewhere else. That's what Revelation 3 says. Jesus said, I have the key of David. I can open and I can shut. Faith will open the door to God's blessing in your life. Faith will open the door to healing in your life. Faith will open the door to prosperity in your life. Faith will open the door to other open doors in your life. Faith will open the door to uh, promotion in your life. Faith will open the door to every good and perfect gift that heaven has to offer. And then on the, on the same key of faith will shut the door on sickness. That same key of faith will shut the door on poverty in your family. That same key of faith will shut the door on, on demonic hindrances and opposition, anything the devil would try to, to raise up to prevent you from accessing God's goodness on the earth. Faith has the ability to shut that door. And the Bible says, the door that I shut, Revelation 3, no man shall be able to open it. So faith is important. Faith is important. You should give your life to the study of the word of God to build up faith. Because re remember, Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So there's no other way to obtain faith. You, which leads me to my number one point. Point number one in fighting the good fight of faith against the enemies of faith is ignorance. One of the, the main enemy to faith is ignorance. Dish, Bishop Oyedepo used to say um, that no, there is no man, no man, there is no mountain in any man's life. Every man's mountain is the mountain of his own ignorance. 
So what he's saying is there's no impossible situation in your life if you'll just get rid of ignorance. If you'll just find out what God said about the subject, if you'll just find out what God said about the thing you're worrying about, then you'll find out very quickly that perfect love casteth out all fear. You won't worry about it. You won't have doubt filling your heart about it. You won't be anxiety prone about it. But faith will come alive to challenge the thing and overturn it. There is no mountain in any, man's, uh, in any man's life. Every man's mountain is the mountain of his own ignorance. That's why the Bible says my people are destroyed, not because of a big devil. They're not destroyed because there's, they have a big problem. They have a, a circumstance that man has never even faced before. They have an unusual problem or some uh, unorthodox situation they're facing. The Bible says my people are destroyed because they have no knowledge. They have no knowledge. So Romans 10, 17 says, what's the cure for unbelief? What's the way to rid your heart of worry? What's the way to eliminate, to like a term, you know, like when you have ants in your house, you call the, the um, exterminator and he comes in and he sprays that bug spray and it kills all the ants. Well, in the same way, the word of God is an exterminator for doubt in your life. So if you have doubt in your heart, you don't have to sit down. Oh, I just wish I had faith. You don't have to wish you have faith. You can actually take steps towards obtaining faith and growing faith today. You don't have to hope you have. Oh, man, they, I just envy them so much. They just believe God. Do you know that they took steps to believe God that way? Do you know that Smith Wigglesworth took steps to believe God so that he can raise the dead? He didn't just stumble on it. He didn't just fall in his lap. Faith is not empty talk. Faith is not cheap labor. Faith is not, uh, uh, it's, not la it's not for the lazy. Faith is hard work. F Hebrews 4.11 Therefore, let us be diligent so that we can enter in to that rest lest we fall after the same example of unbelief. Let us be diligent so that we can enter into that rest. There's a rest that faith brings on you, but to obtain that rest, to, to enter into that realm of rest, you have to be diligent to strive. That's why Paul told Timothy, until I come, give attention to reading, give attention to exhortation, to preaching, give attention to the study of doctrine, meditate on it all the day. Throw yourself entirely in it. Give yourself entirely to the study of Bible doctrine. For then your progress will become evident to all. The Bible says, Paul told Timothy another thing. He said, study, study to show yourself approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed. So if you don't study, you're not going to be approved in the faith. And as such, you're going to suffer shame the rest of your life. It'll constantly be a seesaw battle all your life. When the Bible says the path of the just is like the shining of the sun that shines brighter and brighter, that's God's, that's God's plan for your life, for you to rise higher and higher from glory to glory, from faith to faith, and from victory to victory. But because of ignorance, because of people's lack of insight, because of people's lack of understanding of the Word of God, they sell themselves so short of that and they end up being cheated of the reward that faith would bring them doubt carries uh doubt carries a curse doubt carries uh, a consequence unbelief carries a risk unbelief carries a consequence but faith carries a reward hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 without faith it's impossible to please god so i mean going back to how important faith is without it you can't even make god happy and i don't know about you but i want to be i want to make god happy i want to live a life well pleasing to god i want to live a life that god's gonna smile on i want to live a life that when i get before him in heaven he doesn't, you know, have to 
wipe away every tear and say, man, there was so much more I had for you. And he's wiping away my tears as I see how much more I could have done for the Lord on the earth, how much more I could have had by faith, but I, I got cheated of it because I didn't take time and didn't take responsibility to develop that faith in me. I want to stand before Jesus one day and him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Man, you believe me all the way. There's people who love to criticize the message of faith. There's people that love to say, they, they belittle people that talk faith. Look at it in Caleb and Joshua's day. They talked faith and the other 10 spies in all of Israel picked up stones to stone them people hate people of faith when people are in the flesh when people are in carnality when people are in doubt when people have disconnected from the word of god they can't stand when you talk faith that's why you've got relatives at the moment you say no god's gonna make a way no god's gonna god if god before us who can be against us no if the lord's on our side then we're gonna by all means obtain the land we're gonna obtain the promise god's not a liar he said it he'll bring it to pass then all of a sudden people that didn't care when you were backslidden and were drunk walking in at 3 a.m. In the, in the morning walking through the house stumbling through the house and making noise they didn't care they didn't complain then they didn't complain when you were at weddings and making a foolery of your a fool of yourself because you were you know on all kinds of drugs or whatnot and you were just making a, a an you're an embarrassment to the family they didn't care for them they didn't bring it up then but all of a sudden you start talking faith and they uh, you shouldn't talk like that you, sh you really should you know use a little wisdom on top of that all of a sudden they feel like they have to give their advice now why do you think because if the devil can get you to back down from faith he's done he's he has completed his mission in your life that's why jesus told peter satan has desire to sift you like we i mean there's people that aren't sharing this broadcast right now they need to share this broadcast we have 105 people on but I know that there's more than, more people than that that are going to get a blessing from this broadcast today. they're going to be set free from this broadcast today so share this broadcast uh, Jesus told Peter Satan has desired to sift you like wheat but I have prayed for you so that your faith would not fail Jesus said, I'm going to pray for you. Not that the devil leaves you alone. I'm not going to pray that the devil loses your address. I'm going to pray that your faith doesn't fail. Because if you'll stay in faith, it doesn't matter what the devil does. It doesn't matter what the devil throws at you. It doesn't matter what the enemy's plans are for you. If you'll stay in faith, you'll always stand in victory. You'll always stand in a place and a position of victory. So the devil works overtime to try and break down this faith. And one of the ways he does it, enemy number one, is by keeping believing believers ignorant and that ignorance is based on two things people are ignorant because of a they don't read the bible themselves they don't study the word for themselves and then two maybe they do read the bible but they sit under teaching that misconstrues the scriptures and gives out improper improper uh exegesis of the scriptures that uh, that pretty much you know, no matter how powerful the word of God is, you, you can, I'm telling you, I've been around some preachers, they can take scriptures like Mark 9, 23, that says, if you can believe all things are possible to them that believes, there's people that can take that and literally strip the anointing from it the way they speak it. Because they taught, well, you know, I know the Bible says all things are possible to him that believes. But how many of you know, God wasn't really being literal with that. There's some things in life that, we're going to have to, and so they just remove, they try and explain God's word, and by doing it, by trying to, they're like, they feel like they have to like take an apologetic approach in defending, well, God obviously didn't really mean that, because if we actually believe that, then we'd actually have to, uh, you know, 
take it for ourselves and produce things that are impossible and actually have responsibility in our lives. You know, like, so they, they, they have, they sit under people that strip the word of power. They, I, I, I quoted it not too long ago on a broadcast. These people make void the word of God in keeping with their traditions. So they keep the theological traditions and in doing that, they strip the word of its power. They, they rob the key of knowledge from the people that desire to enter into the blessing. But since they never had it or they grew up, had a bad experience, you know how many people, they, they'll like totally throw out speaking in tongues and the baptism in the Holy Spirit because they went to a church once where the gifts of the Spirit were abused. And so they say, well, this obviously is not of God. And they write full dissertation, um, dissertation papers on why the Holy Spirit doesn't manifest himself like that anymore because they had one poor experience and they threw the baby out with the bathwater and now they've taken it upon themselves a, like a, 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 a task in their life. Their main task is to debunk every faith scripture. Debunk every, every, and they've taken away the key of knowledge in doing that. They've not entered in and other people that desire to enter in, they don't enter in. So there's two reasons why people stay in ignorance number one they don't read themselves and number two they sit under teachings that just don't preach the word in sincerity and without without you know putting in their own their own bias i don't read this and, and i don't inject my bias in the scripture i don't allow my culture to define the way i interpret scripture i don't allow tragedy to define the way i interpret scripture i don't allow any exterior thing Get in me so that I can have a, now that I'm reading the Bible, I have a bias now in interpreting the scripture. I let the scripture interpret itself. I let the word of God be the guiding force as to how I think in life, how I speak in life, and what I do in life. I don't analyze the word of God by what I've been through. I analyze, I allow the word of God to uh to affect what you know to affect my life i don't let my life affect the word of god i allow the word of god affect my life i don't allow external circumstances get into me so that now when i'm reading well yeah but remember aunt sue i know the bible promises healing but remember aunt sue she didn't make it you're gonna have a hard time reading the bible the bible says let every man be a liar but god be true meaning it doesn't matter what others have been through it doesn't matter what Oh, they were so sincere in the sure they were. But let every man be a liar. Let every experience around me be a liar. But God's word be true. Until you make that resolution in your heart that no matter what I've seen, no matter what I've heard, this book is above all. This book is going to be the final authority in my life. Galatians 1, listen to this. I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of God to a different gospel, who's, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and pervert the gospel of Christ. So there's people that are literally going to pervert God's gospel, pervert the word of God. Satan, what did he do? Did he, he didn't change God's word. He just perverted it. He, he subtly twisted it in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say? By the power of suggestion, he got Eve to doubt God's word. Did God really say that? Did he really mean that? Did he really, did he actually want to say that? Or are we reading too much into that? And what happened? They got removed 
from the garden of God because they let doubt sink in their heart. That's what doubt does. It robs you. It's a thief of God's greatest blessings. So when the enemy comes in, did God really? Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. You're believing God for healing in your body? And the Bible says, by his stripes you're healed? And you have someone get around you and say, well, did God really say that by, I mean, you know, it's really talking about a spiritual healing. No, it's talking about a physical healing. I'm not going to let anything, anything keep me out of faith. Because I know that through faith, we can overcome. Number one is ignorance. There was a lady that came up to Kenneth Hagin once, and she was struggling in life, man. She was not having any victory anywhere. And Kenneth Hagin told her, I want you to go through the Bible and study. And anytime it says in him or through him or by Christ Jesus or in Christ Jesus, I want you to highlight it, and I want you to memorize whatever precedes it or proceeds it. I want you to write it down because you can memorize better when you write things down. And then put it down on a list and study it and get it in you. Let it become a part of your inner consciousness. And do that for three months and see how you feel. Well, it wasn't a month later that she came back to Brother Hagin and said, I've found at least 25 places in the New Testament where it says in Christ, in him, through him, by him. And I've written them down and I've been meditating on them. I've been confessing them over life, over my life. And in the last month, it was one month later, in the last month, I found I'm not worrying any anymore about what I used to worry about. I found as I've let the word wash my mind and renew my mind, the things I used to be concerned about, the things I used to literally weigh me down in life, the way I even felt before has been changed. The word of God will alter the way you feel. If you let it first get into your spirit, it'll then overflow and even alter the way you feel. Alter the way you feel. Some of you, you've let so much negativity in you that you're now bearing the consequence of, uh, of, of, having, of being bombarded by negativity. You're feeling, you're feeling heavy laden. You're feeling burdened. You're feeling like the world's on your shoulders. And it has a physiological effect. You're all tense in your, in your muscles. You're all tense in the back of your head. You're having migraine headaches and constant chronic headaches and fatigue and weariness. Well, that will change when you start to see in Christ, I'm not less than conquered. I am more than a conqueror. In Christ, the Bible says, I'm a new creature. In Christ, I've been delivered from the power of darkness and into the kingdom of God. In Christ, the Bible says, I have the victory. The Bible says he always leads me to triumph in all things by Christ Jesus. So you start to let that renew your mind and all of a sudden, You'll feel anxiety. I, I don't feel the way I used to feel. I don't feel panic attacks anymore. I don't feel worry anymore. I don't feel doubt feeling my heart. Why? Did that come by accident? No. By dwelling on the promises of God, it'll create an environment. The Bible says, had you not listened to me, had you just listened to me, your peace would have been like a river. So when you start to listen to what God has to say, peace will be like a river in you. If you had listened to me, your peace would have been like a river. When you start to take in the word of God. Jeremiah said, thy words were found and I ate them and they became for me the joy and gladness of my heart. So God's word actually brought joy and gladness to Jeremiah's heart. It actually, and then a merry heart doeth good like medicine. So when the word gets in you, it brings joy. And when joy gets in you, it's like medicine to your body. You start to feel lighter. You start to feel better. You start to feel stronger. 
There's too many people that confess their, and we're going to get into confession, but you confess you're weak, and what happens? Weakness, all of a sudden, your body programs itself to be weak, and you feel weak, and you feel tired, and you feel fatigued, and you feel weary. Program. Strengthen your body by the words that you speak. Let the weak say what, Joel said. Let the weak say, I am strong. Not, to let, not let the weak pray I'm strong. Let the weak say I'm strong. I'm strong. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Not by might, not by strength, but God's spirit in me quickens my mortal body to run and not grow weary. Number one enemy of faith is ignorance. That lady was robbed of peace for all those years. She was a Bible believer. She actually went to seminary and had two degrees in Christian education. And she was robbed of peace all those years. Because it's not about how many degrees you have on your wall. It's not because I know a lot of people that have PhDs and they're a mess mentally. Psychologically, they're messed up. I know a lot of psychologists that are screwed up in their mind. It has nothing to do with with, with nat understanding things on a natural level. When you start to understand who you are in Christ, that in Christ, I'm not the victim. In Christ, I'm the victor. Then there's a different disposition that comes on you. You know what that, that lady, Kenneth Hagin looked at her because she said, I feel like I was born again again. You can't be born again again. She was saved, but because of her ignorance, she, she didn't walk in light of it. But now that light came in her, she started to walk in the reality of the things she always had. There's a lot of you that you have everything needed for breakthrough and victory. But you need to start walking in the reality of it. You know how many people come up, come up to me and say, well, I'm saved. I, I, you know, I, I, my sins are forgiven. I'm, I'm a believer. I love the Lord. I'm, I, I feel like I'm on fire with God, fire for God. But I still have, I still need deliverance in this area. I still need deliverance in that area. You really don't need deliverance in those areas. You need to understand that deliverance, the word salvation is deliverance. Sozo, it's deliverance. It means freedom. It means healing. It means salvation. It means pres uh, preservation. So when you get saved, you are delivered. The Bible says we were delivered from the kingdom of darkness and delivered into the kingdom of light. So there's too many people like that lady. You're going through, you're living your Christian life. Robbed of peace, robbed of, of, of the goodness that God has laid up for you. Not because God's holding things back. You need to learn to walk in the light of it. You need to learn to take hold of it and bring it down. You need to learn to that no matter how I feel, the word of God says, and I'm going to say what God said. I need deliverance from this. I, I, I still struggle with this sin. I need deliverance from that. The Bible says sin no longer has dominion over you. So... Do you know that, the, first of all, the epistles, Paul's epistles were written not as a, like a, they weren't really written as like promises and all that. The, the epistles are actually written in a way that like a lawyer would write a document. The epistles, what Paul's letters, the way they're structured is in exploration of what now belongs to you. It's a testament. It's a will. It's a it's a, a revelation of not things that we have to pray to have. The revelation of things that we now have and need to begin to, to, to walk in light of them. That's why Paul said, thanks be unto God who hath blessed us. Everything's in the past. The Old Testament, everything was in the future. Job cried out for a mediator. Abraham, 
the Bible says in Hebrews 11, all these died not seeing the fulfillment of the entire promise. They were looking forward to Christ finishing the work. Christ came to finish the work. The New Testament is written in such a way, it's like a, law, a legal document. It's showing you like almost like a title deed to a home. When I get a title deed to, when I get, a, I have the title deed to my home. When I read that title deed where the address and then my name, owner, I don't have to, I don't have to go and contend with the city. Hey, I, I, I really want this house. I believe it belongs to me. I'm just praying that one day it's going to come into my hands. I don't have to do that. It belongs to me. And the Bible says in Hebrews 11, faith is the title deed of the things that you, you already own. It's the title deed. The Word of God, the New Testament specifically, shows you what now belongs to you. You already have ownership of it. There was a guy named A.B. Simpson, the founder of the Alliance Church. He was a, 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 a mighty man of God, 46 years old at this time, and he gets diagnosed with an incurable heart condition, and he has got, he's got six months to live. And so he said, I left and went to my, my cabin that he had somewhere in New England. And he began to study. For, he said, I took two weeks off to just study the word of God concerning divine healing. And he said, I started to read and read and read. And I found out after two weeks of studying the Bible about divine healing that it was absolutely God's will for me to be healed. And so I said, he made three resolutions. He said, number one, I'm accepting today Jesus Christ as healer of my body, the same way I accepted him years ago as savior from sin. I, I accept him today. I receive him as the healer of my body. Number two, I make a resol uh, I'm, I'm, um, I make a resolution today that when God heals me, I will use my body to, to, to propagate the gospel. I will use my body to preach the gospel and to give myself to ministry the rest of my life. And number three, I will not hold back in sharing these truths on divine healing. So a couple of weeks go by and he gets invited to a conference where he is actually scheduled to be the keynote. It, was actually, it wasn't a conference. It was like a dinner for pastors in the area. And he was the, to be the, the speaker. He was given 15, 20 minutes to speak before they, they got into the dinner that night. And so he gets up and he felt one scripture in his spirit, Matthew 8, 17, himself took our infirmities and he began to preach on how Christ himself, if we're going to believe God in 1 Peter 2, 24, it says himself bore our sins, then we also have to believe God in Matthew 8, 17, the Bible says himself took our infirmities. Well, if himself, if we believe God himself took our sins, then we have to believe God himself took our infirmities, himself took our sicknesses. If he carried, then we don't have to carry. If he bore them, then we don't have to bear them. If he took them, then we don't have to take them. And he began to preach on that. He's still having heart symptoms. He's still feeling not great in his body. And, but he's preaching it by faith because he sought in the word of God. Faith doesn't deal with the seen realm. Faith see, deals with the unseen. Before you can see the blessings that faith brings on a man or a woman, you have to first see, see it as real in the scripture. Before, faith, before God's blessing will manifest out here, it has to first take root in here, in your heart. Faith is real to the heart before it's real to the eye. I want you to write that down in the comment section. Faith is real to the heart before it's real to the eye. Thomas, there's no, unless I put my, my finger in the print of his hand, and unless I put my hand in his side, I'll never believe. Jesus shows up the next time uh, Thomas was finally in the meeting. Jesus shows up and says, hey, put your hand in my hand. Put your hand in my side. And don't be unbelieving, but believing. 
Thomas said, Lord, I believe. I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't mean to say all those things. Jesus said, you believe because you see. But a greater blessing lies on people that believe, though they've never seen. People that are waiting for things to turn around in their life before they start confessing the promises of God are putting the cart before the horse. You don't put the cart before the horse. It ain't going to go anywhere. You have to have, you have to believe it and see it in here. That's why God told uh, Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. Abraham said, well, how's that going to happen? My wife's barren. I'm, I'm like 99 years old now. God told him very clearly, I'm changing your name from Abram to Abraham. Start to confess yourself as the father of a multitude of nations. And so Abraham, he told, first of all, Abraham, before the vision happened, was in his tent. When God spoke to him, he said, get out of the tent. Get out of your small thinking. Some people are living in a small tent of thinking. Serving a big God and thinking small tent thoughts. God said, get out of your tent. Look up to the sky. You see all the stars? God put a picture of what he wanted to do in Abraham's life first in his heart. He had him see it. The Bible says, he said, look eastward and westward and northward and southward. All the land that you can see is land that I'm giving you. Eastward represents Genesis. Westward represents Revelation. Northward, oh uh, sorry, eastward represents Genesis. Westward represents Malachi. Northward represents Je uh, Matthew. And southward represents Revelation. As far as your eye can see in the scripture, that's what God will bring your way. As far as your eye can see in the word of God, and what do I mean by see? I mean understanding. Not just quoting the word. Philip was walking by an Ethiopian eunuch who was reading out of Isaiah 53. And he read it, and he read it, and he couldn't understand it. So he couldn't believe. Your belief is hindered by a lack of understanding. When Philip came and joined himself to the chariot, he said, do you believe what you, do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I understand unless someone show me? And so Philip began to exhort him, beginning from that scripture in Isaiah 53, all things that pertain to the Christ. And the Ethiopian eunuch, without Philip even asking him, he stopped him and he said, can I be baptized? What prevents me from being baptized? And he said, nothing. Do you believe? He said, absolutely, I believe. So you can see that the faith was a function of his understanding of the word of God. When the understanding of God's word came on the scene, all the unbelief, whatever was hindering, every enemy of faith left. And he said, oh Lord, I believe. What prevents me from being baptized? That guy would have gone to hell reading Isaiah 53, not knowing that everything that was needed for him to get saved was in that scripture. But he would have gone to hell. But then an anointed interpreter came and showed him. That's why we do these broadcasts. There's a lot of people, I don't know the word. I don't understand the word. There's something... That's why we're doing these broadcasts, to show you what belongs to you, what your inheritance is. Colossians 1.12 says, giving thanks to the Father who has given us, who has uh, qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints. There is an inheritance that belongs to you that you're not tapping into it because it says it's tapped into through light. Light is understanding. But once light comes, it drives out darkness. Ignorance. Number two, enemy of faith. I'm going to go a little quicker on the next four. Sin consciousness. If you carry the consciousness of sin in your heart, that you're a sinner, that you know, 
You're just an unworthy, deprived human being. You should be even happy that God bats an eye your way. Like, you're, you're, you're going to never operate in faith because you're always going to have intimidation in your heart. You're always going to carry fear as to whether God is approving of you today or if He's disapproving of you today. You're always going to be uh, tormented by thoughts of inadequacy, thoughts of inferiority, and thoughts of defeat. You're going to adopt a victim mindset when you carry a sin conscious. What do I mean by that? Living life, now that you're saved, living life, uh, constantly calling yourself, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I'm just, how many of you know we're all sinners? How many of you know we're all sinners? How many of you know we sin every day? You're conscious of the sin and you're totally ignorant of what Christ did for you in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says it very clearly. He that knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So the Bible says you're no longer a sinner. You're now God's righteousness in Christ Jesus. When you, get, when you connected with Christ, your sin nature was extracted. Your sin nature was cut off from you. It was severed from you. And a new nature lives in you. And it's the, the nature of God. It's the nature of righteousness. The Bible says in Psalm 32, David was foreseeing the day when this would happen. Psalm 32 says, how blessed. David was saying there's going to be a people on earth that are going to be able to say this for themselves. How blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven, whose transgressions are covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity to. Impute means he doesn't, he doesn't hold it against them anymore. God doesn't hold your sin against you anymore. The Bible actually says as far as the east is from the west, so has he blotted your sin out of his sight. The Bible says that he has taken your sin and buried it in the sea of forgetfulness. The scripture says if any man has sin, he is faithful and just if he'll confess your sin to forgive you of sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I don't carry a consciousness of unrighteousness in me. I don't I don't. I don't walk in a reality of unrighteousness i don't walk in 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 an awareness of sin in my life i don't have sin in my life sin no longer has dominion over me sin no longer reigns in my mortal body romans 6 says that i am now god doesn't impute sin to me anymore colossians 2 14 says that the handwriting of requirements the certificate of sin the debt of sin that we owed to god that we could not pay jesus has taken it out of the way he's nailed it to that wooden tree so that the next time the devil comes comes and says that I, he starts to accuse you of all kinds of things starts to tell you you know what business do you have asking God for that when you've done all this the next time he starts to accuse you of things you've done in your past you can look back to the cross you want to talk about the past look at what Christ did for me my sin everything you're listing is on that certificate that Christ has nailed to that tree and because of the blood the Bible says your sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more Jesus said that I'll remember no more so if he forgot, if he's chosen to forget it, why do you keep bringing it up? Why do you have a, a consciousness of what you've done, of what you, where you've been in life? How atrocious the things and the deeds you've done. Oh, if you knew what kind, of what kind of person I am. What do you mean what kind of person I am? You're not that person anymore. I had someone come up to me once when I finished preaching at a church. We went out for, uh, for dinner after and he... Well, you know, I see you today and it's amazing, but why don't you tell me what old TJ was like? And I started to think, I don't even know what old TJ was like. Old TJ's dead. I don't bring him up. 
I don't bring up the past. I don't bring up the past that doesn't glorify God. I don't bring up the past. You know, there's so many people, they love to talk about, oh man, what, you should have seen how I was. I was, and they laugh about it. I was the biggest drug dealer in the county. <laughs> oh yeah. they like glorifying the sin that they got broken free from. They love to like brag about how, how, in, how deep in darkness they were. They like get a kick out of it. It, 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 um, it, it excites their flesh. I don't do that. I remember driving in a car with my wife and I was looking, uh, we were at a stop sign and I looked over to this guy in the car next to me and I was like, man, that guy looks awfully familiar. Who is that? I know I know him. And I started to think on it, man, who is that person? I know I know that guy. And then it dawned on me, that was my old drug dealer that I would buy drugs off. I was so, I'm such a new creature in Christ. I've so been disconnected from my past. The, the old me has been crucified with Christ that I couldn't even recognize someone that I met almost weekly to buy drugs off of. They came up to Kenneth Hagin once. It was a guy that he grew up with before he got saved. And they used to like rob places and like, they were like teenagers. They'd go to like candy stores and he'd pick the locks and they'd rob it and all that. And, and he was like a rascal of a kid in town. And, and this guy got around him Later on in life, after Kenneth Hagin had been saved and he was, he was preaching out this time, and he started to talk, remember that time we did this? Remember that time we did that? Remember that time we did this? And Kenneth Hagin just stood there like he had a mask on, didn't, didn't, just lifeless, didn't even like, didn't smile, didn't like join in on the conversation. Oh yeah, wasn't that fun? Didn't do anything. And the guy says, what are you looking at me like you're dead in the face? You remember that? You were there? And he said, he said, um, that was the old me. He's dead. And I don't bring them up any longer. Why bring up something Christ crucified in you? Why bring, why revive what we've worked, what Christ worked so hard to kill in your life? Don't carry a sin consciousness. Don't carry a past lifetime con consciousness. Have a, a separation mindset. That was BC. Now I'm living in after Christ. Now that I'm in Christ, I'm a new creature. I carry a righteousness consciousness. I'm aware of the finished work of the cross and what it produced in me. I'm not a sinner. I am holy. The Bible says that he might present us unto himself holy and above reproach. Above reproach. Without any sin. When God looks on me, he sees I've put on Christ. He sees pure, purity. He sees white robes of righteousness. I've taken off the old man. I've been renewed in the spirit of my mind. I've put on the new man, which is created in Christ Jesus in holiness and in the image of God. I carry the very image of God. What Adam lost when he sinned and he felt naked, he felt the shame of his sin. Christ came and clothed me with his righteousness. I don't feel the shame of my, I don't feel the shame of my past. I don't feel the shame of the sins of my past. I feel I feel righteous, not because of the cleanness of my own hands, not because of what I've done, not by works of righteousness, but by His grace alone. And that's why my faith can operate. Because when you, like, you want to exercise faith to cast out a devil, you don't think a devil's going to talk back and say, you think you can cast me out after what you've done? Yeah, because the blood prevails. Hallelujah. I can cast you out because the blood prevails. I can cast you out because the blood of Jesus speaketh of better things than that of Abel's. The blood speaks of my righteousness. The blood speaks of my holiness. The blood speaks of my purity. The blood speaks of my right standing with God. Hallelujah. Number two, sin consciousness is an enemy of faith. 
We have forever been perfected. Hebrews 9 says that. Well, we're just, how many of you know, we're just, uh, we'll never be perfect in this life. That's not true. The Bible says that because of Christ, I am perfect. That's not to say I, I'm living a, 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 that's not to say that I never make a mistake. I'm saying that the position I am in Christ Jesus is that of perfection. I'm perfect and I'm being perfected. But I'm perfect. I don't confess I'm not perfect. I'm perfect. Because why would I, why would I diminish what Christ did for me? He made, he died for, the Bible says by one offering, he has forever perfected those who are, who have been made holy by faith in him. He has forever perfected. So I am forever perfected. Why am I going to diminish that by speaking things that are contrary to what God said, God's word says about me? You'll find out a lot of religious cliches are totally diametrically opposed to what God's word actually says about you. Number three, keeping in bad company is an enemy of faith. If you're intent on keeping poor relationships, people that are not going to encourage your faith, people that are going to break your faith down, every time you try to speak faith, they're going to, well, yeah, but you know, you have to think of this and think of that. They're not there to build you on, cheer you on. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews 12, we have so great a cloud of witnesses that cheer us on in faith. There's a great cloud of witnesses. They're all the, the heroes of faith, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses all these guys are cheering us on in faith you don't need people that are going to discourage you to believe God you need people around you that when you start to believe God's word and start to quote God's word they're not going to come out with every natural reason and all all you know human counsel to try and beat faith out of you know you have to choose your company you have to choose your who you fellowship with people that are going to uh, roar you on man people that are going to build you up people that are going to cheer you on people that are going to literally light you up in faith now when you're feeling discouraged that's why the bible says that um you know two is better than one for if one falls the other can lift them up if you're alone you need just like you don't need to be around people of unbelief and negativity you need to be around people of faith because there's going to be a day where you're going to need to be encouraged and it's a nice thing to have someone call you. Hey, man, I felt in my spirit that you were discouraged today. Or you, you, let, me, let me just encourage you. And then spend 15, 20 minutes where they're just pumping scriptures. And then you leave. You leave charged, built up in your most holy faith. Find people that are going to do that. Find people that aren't going to try and like reason you out of the realm of faith, but that are going to Stand by you and say, agree with you concerning anything you're believing for. For where two or three are, agree on anything that they might ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. Get around good company. That king in Israel, when Elisha came and said, by this time tomorrow, you'll have, uh, the economy is going to be turned back to normal. Actually, it's going to be a lot better. It's like as if gas was like $15 a gallon. And then someone came up and said, by tomorrow, gas will be $2.50 a gallon again. And then the king's counselor, the guy he had around him said, even if the Lord should make windows in heaven, such a thing will never happen. And you know what happened to that guy? He saw it with his eyes, but he didn't eat of it. They trampled him at the gate when they came and rushed in to receive the food. Don't hang around people like that. Well, I know what the word of God says, but you know. Especially when you're believing, you're believing God for your children's healing, 
Your children's healing. Your child's healing. You're believing God for, you know, for your child to recover from something. And then you have to be careful who you let pour into your life from that. Even from a little cough, you should take them to the hospital. You should. What? What happened to anointing your kids? I, my kid last week was having coughs, a lot of coughs, had 101 fever, whatever. And people around, take them to the hospital, take them. Take them. What happened to people? And these are believers. I took oil and I slapped it on his head. He woke up the next, this was like two days he was having a fever. The next day, the fever had broken. And then the cough, you know, the cough didn't go. But then yesterday, I, I was like, I, I got irritated. I grabbed my son and I prayed in the spirit. And I said, this foul thing, this, the fluid, whatever it is, it comes. Today, he woke up like a totally changed person. Happy. The, 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 everything looks different on him. So you don't need to get around people that are going to say you need to, you know, it could possibly be this. It could be that. Ugh, what if it's this? You know, and they're putting all kinds of like your kid's going to die or whatever, which he's not. He's fine. But like you get around some pretty extremely negative people and it's it's hard. It's hard to stay happy when you're around people like that. Choose your company. The companion of a fool will be destroyed. But the companion, the wise companions of faith, people, the companion of faith, people, they're going to be built up, charged up. Number four. Mistake or enemy of faith is trying to believe and failure to act on God's word. Uh, the book of, I believe it's in 2 Kings chapter 5. There's a man called Naaman who had leprosy and he was dying. And he came to Elisha because uh, one of his slaves was an Israelite who said, there's a man of God in Israel. Go and see him. He'll heal you of leprosy. So he goes to where Elisha is. And he asks him to come and, and lay hands on him. Elisha just says, go and dip in the river Jordan. The guy got ticked off. What do you mean go and dip? Aren't the rivers of Damascus better? Don't, don't, Jordan, that's a dirty river. I even saw band-aids swimming around when, uh, when I passed it just on the way here. I'm not going in that dirty river. This guy, man, if I ever see him, I'll kill him. He got offended by it. So he heard the word, but he failed to act on it. And as long as he did that, he stayed sick. But then a servant came up to him and said, if he had come out and asked you to do some hard thing, how much more would you have done it? But he's asking you to do a simple thing. Go and dip in the river Jordan and you'll recover. Why not just try it? Do it. So he went and acted on the word. And the Bible says he dipped seven times. And on the seventh time, he was restored. His flesh was restored like that of a child. Just hearing the word is not enough. You have to act on the word. How do you act on the word? One way you can act on the word. Well, one way you can act on the word is by praising God ahead of time for what, for what you're believing Him for. Faith expresses itself through high voltage praise. One of the expressions of faith, one of the ways you prove you believe God is you're already thanking Him ahead of time. Jericho, I want you to go around it seven times and on the seventh time, praise me loud and high. The walls were still up, but they praised God ahead of time in faith and when they did it in faith, God intervened and acted on their behalf. When you act in faith, when you work the word, the word will work for you. When you work the word, the word will work for you. There's a big difference between agreeing with God's word and actually acting on God's word. There's a lot of people that agree that this book is the inerrant word of God. That's infallible. There's a lot of people that agree that this is God's word in print towards mankind. There's a lot of people, even theologians, that agree of the infallibility of scriptures agreeing with God's word does not do anything. I agree. There's many people that agree that proper diet and exercise 
and good sleep habits will improve your lifestyle drastically. But not many people believe it to the point of actually implementing advice, the advice. Because a lot of people agree that if they eat better, they'd lose a little weight. But they don't believe in it to the point of actually doing on it. Like I said before, faith is not talking alone. Faith is doing. Faith without works is dead. Just like, just like the body, if it has no pulse, your body's dead. Works is the pulse of faith. It's what gives value to faith. I'm not saying works, working out. I'm not saying that, you know, people say, well, the Bible says by grace through faith are we saved. I'm not talking about working for your salvation. You're saved. You're going to heaven. But even the work of salvation, even the, the grace for salvation is faith activated and that faith has a work to it. The work was you have to believe in your heart and then confess with your mouth. If you can't confess you're saved, then you can't be saved. The Bible says with the heart, the heart man believes unto righteousness, but it's by the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So you can't even get saved without working in the sense that without working out that faith in your heart in Speaking it out loud. Failure to act on the word. Jesus spat on the ground, made clay, put it on the guy's eyes, and said, go and wash. If he had just said there, if he had just sat there and said, oh, praise God, I just had an encounter with Jesus today. Oh, he told me if I'll go and wash, I'll be healed. I'm claiming that blessing right now. You can claim all you want. Name it, claim it, do whatever you want. Until you take heed to the instruction that Jesus gave you, you're not going to walk in the supernatural. You won't walk in the miraculous. The Bible says very clearly, he went and washed and came back seen. The miracle was a product of his faith in action. I want you to write that in the comment section. Faith in action. Faith in action. Faith has an action that corresponds with it. And number five, I'm going to finish with this. Wrong confession. The, and this is probably, outside of ignorance, this is the, the biggest hindrance and enemy of faith. Wrong confession. You can have faith in your heart. Uh, you can claim to agree with God's word no matter, you know, concerning anything that you're dealing with today. But if you don't confess it, if you don't speak it, the Bible says very clearly, if you should say, Mark eleven twenty three. 23. Let's read that actually. Mark eleven twenty three. If you're just joining me now, welcome. Help me by sharing this broadcast. And uh, you'll greatly encourage me. Mark eleven twenty three. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, so whoever what? Says, that says once, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes. So let's do saying on this side, believing on this side. Says to this mountain once, be cast in the sea, does not doubt in his heart, but does, but believes, so believe is mentioned once, those things which he says, says twice, will be done, he will have whatever he says. Three times to one, saying is mentioned. Saying is mentioned three times in Mark eleven twenty three, which is like the golden scripture of faith, and believing is, is mentioned only once. So we actually should spend three times more time spend, uh, preaching on speaking and the power of confession than on believing. Because your confession is what will bring possession. Your confession, your faith will never go past your confession. Your faith will never rise higher than your level of confession. Your, what you confess is what you'll become, whether good or bad. 
I said it before, you can't even get saved without proper Bible confession. And people that say confession's not really, it doesn't matter much. You know, how, you know, all that confession stuff, you know, if God wants it, he'll get it to you. Confession doesn't do anything. It's just, it's Christian science. Christian science is confessing things based on willpower and power of your mind. Bible teaching is confessing things based on f faith and God's integrity to his word to perform the things that we confess. That's why the Bible says we call those things which be not as though they were. So people that say confession doesn't matter much, okay, go ahead, confess this for me. Say Jesus Christ is not Lord. Say, I don't believe in Jesus. Just say it out of your mouth. If you believe confession doesn't mean much, just say those things. Go around confessing. Go around telling everybody you don't believe, because confession obviously does not matter. So go around just confessing anti-biblical things if confession doesn't really matter. Just say, I'm going to hell. Say it out loud. If it doesn't matter, obviously it matters. You have to be brain dead to not understand that confession is, is essential to victory living on this earth. James 3 says, your tongue is like the rudder of, ship, of a ship. Wherever you turn the rudder, your life is going to go in that direction. Your confession is what will lead to what you possess in life. Confession brings possession. Your faith is measured by your confession. Show me how a man speaks. I can tell you what level of faith he's at. You get around people of faith. They're not talking defeat. They're not talking poverty. They're not talking lack. They're not talking sickness. They're talking God's word. Faith says what God says. No matter what it sees. No matter what your eyes see in the natural. Faith holds fast. Hebrews 4 says hold fast the confession of of our faith. Hebrews 10 says, without wavering, for he that promised is faithful, and he'll bring it to pass. We are to hold fast. Let us not waver in our confession, for the Bible says, there shall be a great reward. Hebrews 10. Let me read it. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 35. Therefore, don't cast away your confidence, which has a great reward. And then Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without waving, for he who promised is faithful. So you're to hold fast to your confession. What does that mean? Hold fast means no matter what, no matter if things go better from the day I start confessing, confessing God's promises, or if things go worse from the day I start confessing God's promises, I'm holding fast. I'm going to fight the good fight of faith because I know that a a faith warrior always comes over to the other side. A person who operates in faith and functions in faith, a person who won't back down on his confession will never lose out on the reward. The Bible says very clearly, Moses went into Pharaoh's courts and he said, let my people go. Did, did Pharaoh let him go day one? No. He kept on saying, let my people go. Let my people go. Let my people go. And then, and then what happened? His confession brought forth the reality. His, the people, the Israelites, were let go. Moses, by the power of his words, delivered an entire nation from Egyptian bondage. Which is a type of satanic strongholds on people. You confess poverty and lack, you'll have plenty of it. You confess weakness, you're, even in the natural, you're sending out neural signals to the rest of your body prepare to be weak when you say i am weak i am tired i am fatigued 
Your brain is actually sending on neurons, sending out neurons to the rest of your body, your flesh, saying, prepare to be weak, prepare to get tired, prepare. That's actually proven by medical science. That's, that's recent, that's not even recent, that's in the last 20 years that they've discovered that. That your words actually, that's why they'll, why do you think they'll get cancer patients and people to like line up their confession? I'm going to be made well. I'm going to, because your, your brain is going to, is going to take on the, uh, the, 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 what do you say? The, your brain is going to take on the stature of your confession. So if your confession is weak, your brain is going to send out weak signals to the rest of your body. That's in the natural. But it's a spiritual principle. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. Those who love it shall eat of its fruit. A man shall be satisfied by the fruit of his mouth. The Bible says, we having the same spirit of faith as they did, they believe and spoke, therefore we also believe and so we speak. Your words have the power to defeat you or your words have the power to bring you into victory. Your words have the power to keep you down or you can do what Job 22 says. When men say there's a casting down, we shall say there's a lifting up. Take on Bible vocabulary. That's the language of faith. The scripture is the language of faith. When you get this in your spirit, you'll start to speak God's language. And God, that's the only language he understands, the language of faith. It's the only, that's why the Bible says he watches over his word to perform it. He doesn't watch over your complaints to perform it. He doesn't watch over your opinion. He watches over his word. So when you start to speak his word, God now has something to come alongside and bring it to pass in your life. And he said, my word, I will not, my covenant, I will not break, nor will I alter the things that proceed out of my mouth. These are five enemies of faith. I'll go through them one more time. One is ignorance. Number two is sin consciousness. Number three, an enemy of faith is bad company. Number four, enemy of faith is trying to believe and failing to act on the word. And number five, enemy of faith is wrong confession. You talk weakness and your strength will go. You talk poverty, you'll have plenty of it. You talk defeat, you'll never have victory. You talk need and want and you'll have the reality of need and want. But if you'll say, you know, maybe you feel sick in your body. Well, I don't feel like, I, I feel like that's lying if I say, it's not lying. You can't quote the scripture and be lying. It's the truth. This is the truth. The fact may be you feel pain in your body, but the truth is, is that the scripture says he bore our pains and carried our sicknesses. And I refuse to say sick another day in my life. I am healed. The Bible says by his stripes, I was healed. Did you feel saved when you got saved? Did you feel your sins leave you when you got saved? No. But by faith, because the word of God says, if I believe and confess it, I will be saved. By grace through faith are we saved. It is the gift of God. Because there's so many scriptures we have in our hearts, we have confidence that we're saved. We have this assurance that we'll one day enter into eternity with God. Well, in the same vein, the Bible says very clearly, that he took your sickness. He carried your pain. So even though you might not feel well right now, I'm healed because of the work of Christ that he accomplished at Calvary. There was a transaction that occurred at Calvary. My sin 
There was an exchange. I gave up my sin. I took on his righteousness. I gave up my sickness. I took on his healing. I gave up poverty. I took on his prosperity. I gave up defeat. I took on his victory. I gave up chains. I took on liberty. I gave up bondage. I took on freedom. I gave up death and I took on his life. So start to confess. In him, I am alive. In him, I, I have all things. In him, I'm more than a conqueror. In him, in him, in him. Hallelujah. I'm a new creature by Christ Jesus. Through him, I can do all things through Christ. There's nothing I can't do because of the anointing in me. And then all of a sudden, you're going to see your, your disposition is going to change. You're going to see. You're not going to walk defeated. There's going to be a different look in you. You know the Bible says in Ecclesiastes that wisdom changes the, fig, the, the, the visage of a man and it makes the boldness of his face to shine. Wisdom. What's wisdom? It's God's Word. God's Word is God's wisdom. And when you get it in you, it actually changes the way you look. You can, there was a guy who came to Bishop Oye Depot. He tried to cast the demon out once, and the demon slapped him in the face. And he went up to Bishop. Bishop cast the demon out like this. And he asked him, why did I get slapped in the face? Like Mark chapter 9, the disciples came to Jesus. Why could we not cast it out? Why did I get slapped in the face and you didn't? And Bishop Oedepo said, because you look like you have a face that can be slapped. And he's, it's really a spiritual principle, what he said there. When the Word of God gets in you, it's like a fire shut up in your bones. There's a different look in your eye. You take on the the you take on the the stature of a lion, and the lion is the greatest amongst beasts. He turns not away from any. You start to look at trials in your life not as uh, of emblems of defeat. You start to look at trials in your life as chance and opportunity for to use and exercise your faith. No wonder James one says, "Consider it great joy, great joy." When you encounter various trials and tribulation, for the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect in all things, lacking nothing. So trials, when you have this mentality and you realize the devil is actually under your feet and that I'm not to fight the devil, I'm to fight the good fight of faith and lay hold on that, you start to see trials not as like a discouraging thing. You see it as an opportunity. Now I can use my faith and the more I use my faith, the more my faith grows and the more my faith grows, the more I can use my faith for and the greater the victory I'll have and the greater of the dominion I'll exercise and the greater, the greater legacy I'll live and leave for my children and a greater heritage I'll leave for my children. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. So don't get discouraged. Don't get disappointed. Don't get dis depressed. Don't get weary. Oh man, preacher, if you know what I was going through, Get the word of God in you and say, yeah, I know what I'm going through. But the Bible says that I have the victory by Christ Jesus. The Bible says that greater is he that lives in me than he that's in the world. The Bible says that if God be on my side and if this work is of God, then it cannot be overturned. I'm not going to be overturned. What the enemy meant for evil, I'm moving forward and it's going to be turned for my good. For he worketh all things for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Hallelujah. And then you start to get happy. If you're watching right now and you'd like to give your life to Jesus Christ, the very first way you have to use your faith is in getting saved. For by, for by grace through faith are you saved. It is not your works. It is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. 
Very, you can't use your faith for anything else until you use it for salvation first. The Bible says, how can they believe unless they hear? That's why I spent this time preaching. Jesus Christ came to this earth 2,000 years ago. He lived a sinless life. He was not born of a, you know, a regular birth. It was by immaculate conception. A woman conceived by the Holy Spirit. He had no earthly father. He had an adopted earthly father, Joseph, but his real father was, was God. God birthed Jesus by, by Mary. And Jesus didn't just come to be when, you know, when he was conceived in Mary's womb. Jesus has been forever. He's the eternal God. He is God. He was there at the beginning. He'll be there at the end. But he came to this earth, took on the form of a man, took on the appearance of flesh. Because man had been born in sin. Man was filled with sin. Man had a poison called sin running through its veins. And there was no ransom. There was no... Uh, redeeming force that man had, redeeming quality man carried that could redeem his own soul. God's justice demanded a punishment. God's justice demanded, uh, demanded blood. Someone had to pay for the blood, for the sins of Adam. Someone had to pay for the sins that we carried. Someone had to pay for the sins of this world. Jesus came and paid, paid those sins by taking on flesh. And He... He took the penalty that we should have all had. Died a sinner's death and the third day rose again. And he ascended on high. And he said, whoever believes on me, they, won't, they don't have to die. They can live and they can live eternally. You don't have to go to a sinner's hell. Jesus prepared heaven for you. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. A place that has your name on it. God has a place reserved for you in heaven. But you access it by faith. Whosoever believeth on me, Jesus said, shall never perish, but have everlasting life. I want you to pray this prayer with me. If that's you, you're not 100% right with God. You're not sure that you're, you're right with God. You're not sure that if Jesus were to come back right now, you'd spend eternity in heaven. You need to pray this with me. Pray this from the bottom of your heart. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I come to you. I turn from my sin. Forgive me of my sin. Wash me clean. I believe in my heart that you raised Jesus from the dead. And I confess today, Jesus Christ is my Lord. I will live for him. I'll do what he tells me to do. I'm moving forward with him from today onward. The old has passed away. The sins are done away with. I'm now a new creature. God's spirit dwells in me. I'll never be the same again. And though none go with me, still I will follow. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, you're saved. If you meant it, if you meant it, God's doing, a, He's beginning a work in you. The Bible says, it's called the regeneration of the human spirit. Where all of a sudden you're going to see the things you, that used to excite you don't excite you anymore. And now there's a new excitement in life to please God in everything that He tells you to do. If you prayed that prayer, go to salvationnow.ca, salvationnow.ca. Uh, the first link that pops up is I just got saved. Fill it out. Get it to me. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.